So um, I have a son who is 11 years old right now, and he, like 90% of every other young boy, 10 to 12 years old, is into a video game right now called Fortnite. You guys heard of this, Fortnite? Some of you are shaking your heads, some of you have no idea what it is. So Fortnite is a uh, game, he plays on Xbox, Xbox One S, he's quick to clarify that with me. And it's like an adventure game, and how they do it today is they have like these headphones on, you know, and little things. Some of you guys do this yourselves. Um, so they, they have these headphones and they play online and they play with their friends. And um, listening to them play the game is ridiculous. Like it's, it's absurd. So you got to like picture the scenario. So like my son is sitting in a room by himself staring at a flat screen just talking. And the, and the things that they say are like ridiculous. So, so the other day I was, um, <laughs> on, on Thursdays, a lot of time when I do sermon prep, I, I do it from home. And so I was like working on my sermon and I hear Luke upstairs by himself, you know, but talking, playing this game. And I started typing down some of the things that he was saying because they were just so ridiculous. So like, you know, imagine him with his controller staring at the screen, I'm in the other room and I hear, hey, hey, where are you guys at? Yeah, you see that? Yeah. I need a llama. Have you guys seen a llama anywhere around here? Yeah. Hey, hey, grab that BR-32. It's written, no, 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 I have the legendary Scar. That's the best gun of all of them. Yeah, where'd you guys go? You see that guy over there? Yeah. Anybody seen that llama yet? Like, this is the stuff that I'm just sitting there listening to, thinking it is so absolutely ridiculous. Llamas, you know? So what I do, what I like to do is, you know, so he's got the little earpiece thing that comes up in front of us. So I like to sneak up behind him and get real close to the earpiece and go, where's the llama at? Has anybody found the llama? Anyway, so I was, I was listening to all of this stuff um, this week and it reminded me of what I was like when I was his age. So like I'm not a guy that's into video games. Some, some are, it's totally fine. Um, I'm not a guy who's into video games so I sort of forget all this stuff. But when I was his age, um, I remember getting my first Atari, or no, no, Nintendo, excuse me, the NES, the original Nintendo Entertainment System, right, like that. They're making a comeback, by the way. Um, so I remember my grandma took me to uh, Children's Palace. You guys remember Children's Palace? None of these places are around anymore. Toys R Us, close the doors, they're all gone. Children's Palace is all gone. But I remember my grandma took me to Children's Palace, and she bought me the Nintendo Entertainment System. I think Super Mario Brothers or Zelda, one of the two came with it. It's like best ever, right? It got me thinking about my grandma, and like she would do this regularly with her grandkids. She would, uh, when it was your birthday, um, my, my, she was um, a si single all of my life, you know, my grandpa passed away years and years earlier, and so she would take us out for our birthday and just like have some special time with us, and she would buy us something and um, it, it was always like the most expensive gift that I got for my birthday was from my grandma. Like she would spend money on us, you know? And so we had such a good time with her and she, you know, was like the kindest, sweetest person that, that you could meet. And we lived right by her. So like my family had a trailer park at that time and we lived on one side of the trailer park and she lived on the other. And so like we would often just, you know, walk to her house and just see her and spend time with her. When I was in seventh grade, um, she had a stroke, a massive stroke, and um, she lost like a lot of function, you know, like she couldn't talk anymore, and 
she couldn't really move around. She was in the hospital bed and she wasn't like aware of what was going on. Like you didn't know if she knew that you were even in the room with her. And I remember visiting her. I think she was in there for about a month. And I, we knew that she was going to die. We knew that it was going to take her life. I remember going up and visiting her and just like she was so different. You know, like it was so painful. Like as a, you know, 13-year-old, I guess which are in seventh grade, as a 13-year-old, um, like just seeing her that way was so hard, you know. And I remember the night that my dad, we were clear as day, my dad came into my room uh, middle of the night, sometime after I'd gone to bed before I woke up, and uh, he said, Nana, Nana died. Nana just passed away. And he was crying. And I remember like in my own little 13-year-old mind and emotions, like not knowing how to process through that, you know. Like I, I loved her so much and, and she was gone and it's like so painful, you know. And then I see, I, I had never, that was the first person close to me that I had lost in my life. And, you know, you see your family struggling and sad and crying and, you know, like you just feel that. It, make, it makes you sick to your stomach, you know. And you know that there's nothing that you can do about it. Like, I, I couldn't make anything better. And, you know, I was just reflecting back on that. And you think, mourning stinks, you know? Like, grief, grief just stinks. 2,000 years ago, uh, when Jesus walked the earth, he was a guy who was uh, well acquainted with mourning and grief. In fact, there was a prophecy about him um, I don't know, 600-ish years before he uh, was born by a guy named Isaiah that said he would be a man of sorrows. The Savior, the Messiah, would be a man of sorrows. And you look at Jesus' life, and that's, that was one of the distinguishing markers of his life. Like, he was a man who lived with much sorrow and mourning and grief and pain and suffering and heartache. In fact, the shortest verse in the Bible um, John 11:35, I think some, summed it up so well uh, for Jesus. It said, you know, the shortest verse is, Jesus wept, right? He lost a close friend of his. And, it was, and it's like that is very much um, what a, a, big, a big chunk of Jesus' life was like. And yet, and yet, this is so interesting, early on in his public ministry, you know, as he was preaching, he said something really interesting. He said this, the man of sorrow said this, happy are those who mourn, God will comfort them. Happy are those who mourn, God will comfort them. And you, know, you, you hear that and you think, well, that's the opposite of what you feel when you mourn. You, know? like you don't feel happy, you feel sad. You know? Mourning and grief makes us sad, it doesn't make us happy. And if we're honest, as, even as Christians, like if you sit here this morning and you're like, I love Jesus, I've trusted him, he's a part of my life. Even as Christians, God's comfort, like when we're, when we're in the thick of it, when we're hurting, when we're struggling, God's comfort can sometimes be hard to find, right? Like he, he makes this promise, happier those who mourn, God will comfort them. But many times when we're in it, it's hard to find that. It's hard to experience that because the reality is the thing that we're mourning over, the thing that we're grieving over, usually doesn't change, Right? Like if, if I've lost somebody that I love, like my Nana, we called her Nana, like my Nana, um, she's not coming back, right? And so we go, man, God, where's the comfort? Like where are you at in my time of need? 
this week, um, this is what I want to talk about. So, you know, some sermons are happy and fun, and I can tell jokes, and it's really cool. We talk about joy. Um, this is not one of those sermons. This is one of those sermons that uh, we're talking about heartache. We're talking about mourning. You know, we're talking about grief and suffering. And, you know, it's one of those feelings that um, we all experience, right? Like if you're not in the middle of it, some of you are in the middle of it right now. If you're not in the middle of it right now, you will be. And it doesn't just happen, you know, once to us or twice to us, but this is, it wasn't just a continual theme in Jesus's life. Mourning and grief is a continual theme in each of our lives as well. And so my hope is we can look at what Jesus says about this and maybe take a few minutes and look at what the broader Bible says about this so that when we're in it, if we're not presently in it right now, when we are in it, we can navigate it in a way that um, we allow God to bring us these promises like the comfort, the, the joy, even through some of those hard times. So that's my goal today. So if you've got a Bible, why don't you grab it and let's, let's jump in. Open it up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. So uh, by the way, we have an app as well, Grace Church app. So if you've got that downloaded, there's a little Bible tab on there as well. Matthew chapter 5. So last week, um, we started this new series called Happy. And in this series, we said, you know, everybody's looking for happiness. Like, that's one of those things. So we all experience grief and mourning, but happiness is like one of those things that each of us wants, you know? Like, if I'm not presently happy in my life right now, I want to be happy, right? And so it was interesting, the very first part of the first sermon in the first book of the New Testament that we have of Jesus is all about happiness. Like one of the very first things he talks about is happiness. And so the people, we talked, I'll give you a, just a quick review here from last week. The people that Jesus is talking to in this sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, are like broken people, right? And so these are people who are, you know, sick. These are the people who others would look at and go, they are crazy, like they are lunatics. These are the people that are the marginalized, the hurting, the suffering, right? And so this is the crowd of people, broken people that are following Jesus. And so Jesus is going to teach them. And so he goes up. He's got this great crowd of people around him. He goes up on the side of a mountain. He like steps up so he's a little bit elevated above them so his voice would carry and they would hear them. That's where you get the name Sermon on the Mount, right? And then he begins to teach them. Uh, this past week, I was talking to my daughter, and she, she wanted to see a movie that, uh, it's like a kid's movie, it's pretty popular, um, it's not in the theaters anymore, but she wanted to see it, and I haven't let her see it, and she's like, Dad, why don't you let me see this movie, I want to see this movie, and you know, it's, so it's a movie that, um, there are themes in this movie that I don't like, you know, I like watch the uh, trailer for it and read a little bit about it, so there's things taught in the movie that, I, that are lies, and it normalizes some things that I don't think should be normalized, right? And so, you know, she's like, Dad, let me see this movie. All my friends are seeing it, right? And I was like, listen, sweetheart, we're different. Like, we're not like everybody else, you know? Your friends, mommies and daddies, can decide what movies they want them to watch, but we're different than other people, you know? And there are things that God says are good and right, and there are things that God says are not good and are not right. And sweetheart, I think this movie teaches some things that are not good. And so I'm like, we're your, mommy and I are your protector. And so we don't think this is good for you. We're different than the other kids. We're different than the other families. I don't want you to watch this movie. And so I tell you that because that's like one of the big themes of this sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the big themes is Christians, followers of Jesus, are to be different, Right? 
And so we live in a world where, you know, there's, there's right and wrong, things, things that our world says are right, things that our world says are wrong. Some of those things we agree with and we go, yep, I agree, that's totally right and wrong. Then there's other things that God says, no, 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 those aren't right, or those are wrong, right? And in those situations, we go, well, the world says this, God says this, as a Christian, I'm going to trust the, the wise, all-powerful God of the universe who loves me. I'm going to trust what he says, I'm going to do what he says, and I'm not going to do what the world says, right? And so one of the big themes that you'll see throughout the Sermon on the Mount, which by the way, I really encourage you to read it, this is, it is Jesus' most famous teaching in the Bible, right? We're just going to spend time at the very beginning of it, the very beginning of chapter 5. It's actually three chapters, chapters 5 through 7. But one of those themes in that sermon is that Christians, followers of Jesus, are to be different. So you'll see things like Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, dot, 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 but I say to you, dot, 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 right? So you see that kind of all throughout. So we're going to, again, spend our time at the beginning um, in what's called the Beatitudes. And last week I said the reason it's called the Beatitudes is that word Beatitude means uh, blessed or extreme blessing or extreme happiness. And so there's eight different, actually nine different times under eight different topics in these Beatitudes that Jesus says, blessed or happy are you who dot, dot, dot right? And so I want to take the time to read through all of these again, and I want to lay down a challenge to you. So one of the things that we do with our kids down the kids' hallway, um, every week they get a little God times, right? If you're a parent, hopefully you've seen those, and it's got a little couple, some lessons that you can take your kids through, and then there's also a memory verse in there as well. And so, you know, we encourage the kids to, to memorize scripture. If they do, we give them sugar back there, which is always a good motivator for children. And so, uh, but as adults, we don't often memorize scripture. And so I want to challenge you in this series. What I'm doing is, um, as we go through each of the Beatitudes that week, I'm, I'm memorizing the one that we did, right? So last week, we were blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? And so I'm just trying to remember, this week, we're blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, right? And so each week, you add on a little bit more, a little bit more. And then by the end of these eight weeks that we're doing this, you have a chunk of scripture memorized so that when the time comes and we need it, we have it in our minds, we have it in our hearts, right? So when the time comes that we're in mourning, that we're struggling, we can go, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we can apply that to our lives. Yeah, I, I, I challenge you to do it. Um, so I want to read the uh, eight Beatitudes for us here, the nine blessings, the eight Beatitudes. And uh, I just want you to listen. And I want you to try to like, begin to allow this to seep deep into your heart. So verse one, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, crowds of hurting people were following him, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Even, even in that little chunk of scripture, those 12 verses, you see like how some of the things that Jesus taught are like countercultural. you know? Like how many times in our culture do you hear people go, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, you know? That's like the opposite in much of the world. It's like blessed are the go-getters, the ones who like just tackle what they want. They knock everybody out the strong, right? Jesus is like, no, we flip it on its side, right? Upside down. And so you see that all throughout here. I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this second beatitude. So this is Matthew 5, 4. I want to look at it again. So, so Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, if you, if you just look at that verse and you're like, like if, if you just opened the Bible to, Ma- to Matthew chapter 5 and you went, ah, uh, here, and I put my finger on this verse and you just read that verse out of context, we'd read it and just, if we take it at face value, it sounds like it's just a verse about when we're mourning, when we're grieving, God will bring us comfort, right? Like it's a verse, it's like, okay, mourning and grieving stinks, that's not fun, but there's like this future, this, this hidden blessing that's going to come one day, right? Like once we get through all of the hard stuff, it's going to come one day when we're going to get a chance to experience like a unique intimacy, a unique comforting of God. And, and I, I want to be clear here. So, you know, we look at that verse and you're like, it's just a verse about mourning and God's going to comfort those who mourn, right? I want to be clear here that like that is a theme in the Bible. Like there's lots of different places in the Bible that talk about how God, like when we're hurting, when we're struggling, when we're grieving, God is close to us. There's passages like this in Psalm 34. Go to the next slide. Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Right? Like this is a truth. This is a fact. God is close to us when our heart is broken. You know, those that are, have a crushed spirit. Even though I, this is the, the most famous psalm of all of them, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? Like even when I'm going through dark times, God is with me and he brings me comfort. Go to that next one. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Go to the next one. Praise be to the... To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And so you read those and you're like, okay, that's a truth in the Bible. That's, that's a few passages. You see it over and over again. Like if, if you and I have said, I trust Jesus, I've invited God into my life, then when I'm going through hard times, I'm not alone. There's a comforting of God that comes through that. And so maybe this morning, like you're in it right now, like you are struggling, you're experiencing loss and hurt and heartache. Like those are things you need to hear, right? Like if you love Jesus, if you've trusted him, he's there for you. He offers you comfort when we're brokenhearted. However, I actually believe in this verse that we're looking at today in Matthew 5, 4. What Jesus is talking about is a different kind of mourning, right? It's not just 
Whenever we're going through hard times, whenever we're struggling, we've experienced loss and grief and mourning, God's going to comfort us. This is a different kind of mourning. And so as I was studying this this week, like whenever we prepare for a sermon, any of us prepare for a sermon, you're reading a lot and you're trying to understand kind of the deep parts of the text. This was really eye-opening for me because there's a different, there's a deeper kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here that um, I think maybe will challenge, it's a little different than what we would get at face value, but I think it will challenge us to consider mourning in a different sort of way. So I'm excited to dig into it. Hopefully I can explain it in a clear way to you guys. So look back at the passage. Look at Matthew 5.4. So blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So there's three like main words there that I want to just clarify. I want you to like understand the meaning of those words in a real full way. So blessed, mourn, and comforted. Go to the next slide. So blessed. So we talked about this uh, last week. So let me just really quickly review. We said in the original language, so the Bible is not originally written in English, right? The New Testament was written in Greek. And so in the, in the original Greek, ancient Greek, that word that we translate as blessed is makarios. And we said last week, we said what that means is happy, which you know, is why we get the name of this series. It means happy or blessed, but it's independent of one's circumstances. So it's saying Despite what I might be feeling right now in the circumstances that I'm in, which might be lousy, which might be hard, like when I'm mourning, for example, despite that, there's actually a promised blessing that's coming, right? That's independent of our circumstances, that's lasting, that's meaningful. We talked about that last week. Blessed, happy, uh, independent of one's circumstances. How about the next one? This word, mourn. It's a really interesting word. So in Greek, there were, uh, I think it was nine, there are lots, I think nine different words that they used to describe mourning, okay? This word, pentheo, is the strongest of all of the words. So when we talk about like grief and mourning, this is like extreme grief, extreme mourning. So it means, it literally means to wail loudly. It means continued inner agony and anguish continued inner agony and anguish. So when Jesus is talking about mourning, of all those nine words that he could use, he chooses the strongest one, right? It's interesting. How about this next word, comfort? Comfort, that word is parakaleo, parakaleo. And what it means is to come alongside, to console someone who's in sorrow and distress, right? And so, some, so what it means, like literally, is when somebody's hurting, they're in distress, to parakaleo means I like come up, it's like I wrap my arm around them. I'm like, I'm here for you. You know, I'm gonna encourage you, right? I'm gonna help you at, at, in your sorrow, in your distress. What's so interesting about this word is it's almost the exact same word that is used to uh, the the name of the Holy Spirit in John 14 to 16. John 14 to 16, uh, the Apostle John writes, and so this is the gospel, he talks about the Holy Spirit. He calls it the paraclete, which is almost the same word. It's a slight derivation of that word. And so in in our English Bibles, it's translated as counselor, comforter, helper, advocate. You think about that, you're like, hmm, that's interesting, right? We'll we'll come back to that. So stay with me here. What's Jesus saying? Well, he's saying happy or blessed are those who experience deep, continued inner agony and anguish 
because despite what they might be feeling in that moment, God will bring them comfort and will console them in the most intimate of ways, right? Essentially what he's saying. Now I have a very important question for you. What do you think Jesus means is the, that the source of that mourning is? Like that deep, continued inner anguish and, and agony. What do you think is the source of that? Like what causes that mourning? Think about that question. Like in, in the context that Jesus is talking about, what do you think is the cause of that mourning? Like anything? Anything that causes us grief, anything that causes us mourning, like loss of things, you know, like I lose somebody that I love. Maybe, maybe I lose my possessions, my house burns down and I lose everything. And it's like, is that the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about? Maybe it's loss of status, you know, I lose my job. Maybe it's loss of close relationships, loss of health. Like, what do you think Jesus intends when he talks about blessed are those who mourn? What do you think is the cause of the mourning that Jesus is talking about here? Well, here's how I'd answer that. I'm going to answer it in a terrible way. I would say, well, really, all of those and none of those. And here's what I mean. Let me explain this. So what did we talk about last week? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think that maybe when Jesus is writing or is sharing these beatitudes, these blessings, that he may be doing it with intentionality, that they may be connected with one another. So last week we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. We said, blessed are you when, like I, when, I, when I recognize that I am spiritually destitute, that I am spiritually bankrupt, that I am a spiritual beggar before God. Jesus is saying, happy are you when you realize that you bring absolutely nothing to God that merits, that makes us worthy of his generous favor of his kindness, of his peace, of his salvation. That's what being poor in spirit means, right? We talked about that last week. Blessed am I when I realize I bring nothing to merit his generous favor, right? Well, the second beatitude, mourning, is like the other side of that equation. So the mourning that Jesus is talking about, what causes the mourning that Jesus is talking about is my recognition of sin, the mourning that Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin, right? First my sin, and then I would say the sin of the world as well. Let me make a strong statement to you, and then I'll explain it here in a second. Here's a statement. You will never be happy until you feel anguish for your sin. You will never be, we're talking about happiness, right? Like everybody wants to be happy. Like I want to have a meaningful, lasting happiness. We will never be truly happy until we experience, until we feel anguish for our sin. See, part of me receiving the kingdom of God as promised in the first beatitude, part of me being happy, as we said, everybody else, everybody desires, is to be poor in spirit, right? I'm humble. I realize that I bring, like, when we're talking about God, like, looking at me and going, you are favored by me, we go, I bring nothing to deserve that, right? We talked about that last week. The other side of that coin is that what I do bring is like rotten, is sinful. So, so before him, when we talk about like my righteousness and I deserve God to go, man, you are something special, I go, I'm empty-handed. 
I bring nothing that makes me worthy of that before you, God. But the reality is we bring stuff, but it's rotten. It's sinful, right? Like examine your heart for a second. I think, I think most of us are like way more sinful than we realize. Way more sinful than we realize. You know why? Because we live in a world that says things like, ah, what's sin? It's not that bad, you know? It's not that, it's not that big of a deal. Or we go, well, you know, like, yeah, I did that, but I didn't have a choice in the matter. You know, like my hand was forced with it. We live in a world that says, well, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as this guy. I'm not better than him, right? We live in a world that says, dude, listen, it's 2018. Like, it's accepted now. Everybody does it. And so we look at sin and we're like, we try to like hide it or deny it or minimize it or rationalize it or relativize it. But the reality is none of those things changes sin from being sin, right? Like I can hide it and I can pretend that I don't sin or like, that's eh, not that bad. But the reality is in God's eyes, sin is still sin. I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Every single commentator, theologian that I read preparing for, for this sermon, um, what they said about this verse, every single one of them is that the mourning that Jesus is talking about, that deep inner agony and anguish that Jesus is talking about, is a result of recognizing our own sinfulness compared to the holy, perfect, long-suffering God's perfection and righteousness. Every single one of them, these guys that like spend their entire lives digging into the scripture with depth, every single one of them without exception said, what Jesus is talking about here, the mourning that he's talking about here is a mourning over our sinfulness. He just got done saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. Now he's saying, blessed are you when you mourn over your sin because you will be comforted. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt anguish for your sin? Like, think about your sin in your life. Don't answer out loud, just in the quietness of your heart. Like, have you ever felt anguish before God for your sinfulness? It, can, can we do an exercise? I, I hope this doesn't sound hokey, but I, I'm hoping that it's helpful for us. Would you do me a favor? Would you just close your eyes for a minute? I promise I won't throw anything at you or spit on you or anything like that. But we have all these distractions. Visually, we get all these distractions, and I think it helps to just kind of close our eyes. I want to just take you through a little exercise here. Like, are you broken before the God of the universe? Are you, are you honest before him of what lurks deep within your heart? Like, just, just think about yourself right now. Don't think about anybody else. Just think about yourself. And, and allow yourself to be uncomfortable as you think about your own sinfulness. Like allow your mind to unlock those closets that you've shoved your most painful mistakes into that you don't like to open, that you don't like to deal with because you know you've done wrong. Like think about the times that you've been so selfish. We want to forget them. Think about them. Think about the times when all really you wanted was to make yourself feel good and other people were not your concern. Think about times when you were hurtful to other people. Maybe you broke somebody's heart. 
really because of your own selfishness. Think about times you gossiped. Think about times you lied. Think about times maybe you've stolen or cheated. Think about times you've been foul with your mouth. Think about maybe times that you had an unhealthy focus on money or success or recognition. You know, maybe you cared more about what other people thought of you than what God thought of you. Think about times you've been prideful, arrogant. Maybe you thought or acted like you were better than other people. Think about times when you were unforgiving with others. You know, like you just, you held on to the bitterness because the other person deserved it. Maybe even rage. Think about times that you actually did something good, but really, if you're honest, your motivation for doing it were the wrong reasons. You really did it more for yourself than about loving and serving and caring for other people. Just allow your mind to remember the, the dirtiness. Now imagine you're standing before the perfect, absolutely holy, all-powerful, completely just, thoroughly good, righteous God of the universe. The one who has no sin. The one who has no error, no mistake, no, no sinful tendencies to make us like him. Make him like us. He's different. He's perfect. Except that he is broken-hearted for you. He's hurting because of your choices. Your pain, the pain that you've caused others, the pain that you've caused yourself. As he made you for good purposes, he has good plans for you. But your sin has affected all of that. And it breaks his heart. He longs for you to be at peace. He longs for you to experience the joy that comes from living the way that he's called us to live, that he's created us to live. He is long-suffering over you, weeping over you, because he knows what you could be. The God of the universe is suffering over your sin because he loves you so deeply. You feel that anguish yet? That, that deep agony, the grief, the mourning that Jesus is talking about. It's the other side of being poor in spirit. I bring nothing that makes me worthy of God's generous favor. But what I do bring is rotten. It's dirty. It's an absolute mess. You can open your eyes. You know, it's ironic, like, Thinking through the hard stuff, our, our bad choices in, in our lives, our, our dirtiness, you know, so to speak, it's disturbing to us, you know, like we, we hate doing that. But it's ironic that we can't actually experience true happiness, like meaningful happiness, without it. Do you know why? Because in that moment, when you and I are like naked and exposed before God and all of our dirtiness, all of our shame, all of our rottenness, all of the bad choices we've made, the hurts that we've caused other people, the seeping wounds that other people have caused us, the old scars that we have all over our body, 
like when we are open with all of those things before him, his response to us, like it's then that he offers us the deepest comfort. Like it's then in our time of deepest shame that he offers us the absolute deepest comfort. And so I'd say it this way. I'd say when we agonize over our sin before God, we also experience the deepest comfort of God. When we agonize over our sin before God, we also experience the deepest comfort before God. That's when he offers us the parakaleo, the comfort, that intimate comfort through the paraclete, through the Holy Spirit. Like it's then where I'm honest and I'm like, God, I am shameful. Like I am a mess before you. I got some good. I got some things that I've done right. But I got so much messiness in my life. It's like at that point, this is so important. I promise you, I promise you, when you and I are open with God that way, are exposed before God that way, all of the dirt, all of our grime, I promise you that his response to us is not to condemn us. It's like counterintuitive. We were talking about it earlier this morning. It's like counterintuitive. We think in order to be accepted by God, we have to be like all shiny and perfect, you know? Well, God, look at how good I am. Look at all this. God is the opposite. In order to be accepted by him, to be forgiven by him, we gotta be honest with him about how not perfect we are. And his response is not to condemn us or be disgusted with us or be repulsed by us. He loves us. And when we're honest and humble before him that way and we trust him, he gives us his Holy Spirit to comfort us in the most intimate ways. We said that word means to like come beside. It's like the Holy Spirit comes beside us in the most intimate way. There's beautiful promise all throughout the New Testament that when you and I make a decision to follow Jesus, we have his spirit to live inside of us somehow. I don't know how that works. But his Holy Spirit lives inside of us, whispering to our hearts that we're valuable, that he's got plans for us, that as we turn our lives over to him, he will change us. He'll take our dirt and grime and shame and he'll make us white as snow. It's a beautiful promise in the book of Revelation. It's a metaphor. It's a beautiful promise. It's like he gives us a new robe, a white robe. He makes us like him. That's what Jesus is talking about when he said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn over their sinfulness. Like when we are honest before God and we agree with him over the state of our heart that's when we get a chance to experience a comfort that's like no other. I wanna, I wanna say one more thing about mourning before I end. So I, I, I wanna be clear. I think what Jesus is foremost talking about here is the mourning that comes from our sin. And you know, we bring our sin before him and he brings us comfort. But I also really believe that it extends beyond that. Here's what I mean. Because the reality is, and I've thought so much about this, no one has brought an exception to me yet. If, if you can find an exception, please tell me. The reality is that everything that we mourn over, I can't think of an exception, is because of sin. Like everything that we mourn over has its origin in sin. Like think about it, what are things that, that bring grief to our heart? Well, you know, de death, sickness, broken relationships, abuse, loss of innocence, right? Like my grandma died, or my nana dying almost 30 years ago that I grieved over was because sin entered the world thousands of years ago through our ancestors, Adam and Eve, right? 
and it affected everything. The book of Romans, Romans 8.22 says that when sin entered the world, it affected everything. And it says all of creation is like groaning because of it, right? Like sin affects everything. And when it came into the world, it brings sickness and death and broken relationships and pain and suffering and loss of innocence and selfishness and pride and the list goes on and on and on. All of those things are a result of sin. Sin is the cause of all of it, like all of these things that we hate. And so let me ask you, when you're mourning, like when, when, when we experience deep loss and we're like overcome with grief, overcome with mourning, how often do we take that next step and go, really, the cause of all of this is sin, right? Like really the cause is sin. How often do we do that? Rarely? Never? Right? Many times we do just the opposite. And we go, the cause of my mourning and my grief is God. And we go, God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you allow my Nana to be taken that many years ago when I was so young? I, I loved her. I wanted more time with her. God, why did you allow my grandpa to die 15 years before I was even born? I wish I would have known him. And we go, maybe you're not that good. Maybe you don't really care. And we start to blame God instead of recognizing that the way that sin came into the world wasn't through God. Who is it through? Us, right? First through Adam and Eve and then through you and me, probably most every day of our lives. But it wasn't the way that God originally made it. How did... How does the Bible say when he created all things, they were what? Good, right? And then he made you and me and he says, very good. And then what happens? We introduce sin into the world and with it, sickness and death and all of the other things. Guys, how would it change our mourning and our grief if in our loss, you know, whatever it is that's causing that grief, we remember that God is not the cause of this. Sin is the cause of it. It wasn't part of his design. Like, how would that change our grieving if we stop going, God, why did you allow this to happen? We recognize sin is the one that started it. Let me say it this way. Mourning turns into worship when I recognize that sin is the culprit, not God. Let me say that again. Mourning turns into worship when I recognize that sin is the culprit of what I'm mourning over, not God. How would it change our mourning for whatever it is if we go, you know what? The reason that this stuff is happening, the reason that there's death and loss is because of sin entering the world. And it's not how God created it. And you know what he's gonna do one day? He's gonna make everything new, right? Like there's this beautiful promise in the book of Revelation. Go ahead and show that up on the screen. There's this beautiful promise in the book of Revelation that like one day he's going to make everything new. One day there's going to be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. One day he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes and all of these things that we hate that cause us grief and heartache will be dealt with one day. It'll be back, I think, even better than what it was at the very beginning. All of it will be gone. Like that's the promise. And so when you and I are going through grief, when we're going through heartache, remember, it's not how God made it. 
He didn't design it that way. And as much as you and I are grieving, it grieves him too. Like that's the comfort. He's beside us. He's feeling what we feel. And one day, it's going to be different. And I think about that, and I'm like, that's, that makes me want to worship that God. That God who knows my pain, who feels my pain, who walks with me through my pain. And one day, he's going to take care of it, and it will be no more. That takes my mourning, and it moves it to worship.